Hello, folks. Welcome to Courtside Wellness. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix, former athlete and current sports social worker. On today's episode, we're joined by Nate Reckoneckel. Nate works for the NFL Players Care Foundation. He's a former graduate of the University of Michigan, former athlete, and he talks about his experience of working with the Player Association and how his work is moving towards shattering the stigma of mental health in the sport community and his perspective of how to work with athletes. Also, we want to thank the Sports Social Work community and wish everyone a happy Social Worker Month. Thank you, stay well, and enjoy. And folks, we're back with Nate Recknickel, former student athlete, former professional athlete, and clinical and research director at NFL Players Care Foundation. So Nate, thanks for joining us here at Course Wellness today. Thank you for having me. So, Dave, you have a very interesting story that goes back to being a student athlete, to being a professional baseball player, to now being, like I said, the clinical and research director at the NFL Players Care Foundation. So, how did you get to some of the steps to where you got to? And I know you're a former graduate of the University of Michigan, who we've had a few different uh, speakers from the University of Michigan. So, it's great to have another uh, member here with us. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. Um it's, uh, I think that people always, you know, think about people climbing the ladder as in kind of our field as persistency and networking. And, but mine actually doesn't have any of that. I was very fortunate to be part of a internship program at the University of Michigan while I was getting my MSW. And, uh, I was afforded the opportunity to, to work with a former NFL player that came through the hospital where I was doing my internship at, uh, after that person had left uh, the hospital was asked for my resume from, from the NFL PA and the NFL. And about a year later, I got a call asking for me to interview for a job that they had, they had opened up, you know, after that, it was working for the national football league a few months later. So prior to that experience was the combination of sports and social work, something on your radar, or was it something that kind of came out kind of unexpectedly for you? Um, I went to get my MSW for the purpose of actually working on sport performance and being a, a, a therapist or counselor in a way. While that was my intention after I graduated, it deviated after I had this NFL opportunity. And so I still kind of went down that path initially in the beginning, but but eventually just kind of gave way to this full-time gig that I've been doing for almost nine years now. So uh, that was the intention of actually getting my clinical degree. So I guess for people out there wondering, you know, when we talk about clinical and research director, what does that mean or what does the day-to-day look like for the job you do with the NFL? Yeah, my job is more focused on case management. Our our arm of the, you know, our foundation focuses on financial assistance for former players. And my job is to really oversee the behavioral health aspects of the foundation. And that's from anywhere from, you know, the day-to-day case management and working directly with former players and the, and the mental health needs that they have uh, to putting together financial assistance grants for them, um, uh, whether it's mental health related or, or whether we're helping with their mortgage or utilities, things like that. And then from the research part of it, we do, you know, we do, uh, we do mental health research from like a screening standpoint and oversee the sc- screening program that we do. And I perform the screenings to former players in person at, at some of our screening sites. And so that happens eight times a year. And, um, and so from like a macro side of stuff too, I'm, I'm part of like the foundations where we're starting to do program evaluations and data analytics. And so I oversee that aspect of the, of the foundation too. So. And it's great to hear again, social work brings a whole wealth of knowledge and expertise 
to many different sectors of the world. It's great to see how you're able to use the macro and the micro approach of social work to apply to this role as well from the research standpoint, but as well to the clinical roles. So in terms of anyone thinking about a career as a social worker in sports, how would you say your experience as a social worker and being a University of Michigan grad helped in terms of these opportunities? I mean, it's a fairly loaded question, but um, I think there's some concepts about social work that I think in students that initially go into school thinking about don't feel like they see the connection necessarily. And, and I'm talking about like in the academic world, you know, I just had an interview or I just had a had a conversation with the, with the current student about how they didn't see how program evaluation was actually important to like their clinical, you know, aspirations. And I said, well, it's definitely important to know because, uh, you know, nowadays it's, you, you can't build programs, uh, without having data and data analytics tied to it, um, funding and, and research and, and, um, and all this, they, they come from the fact that there needs to be factual information backing the decision to create something. And so there's just too many data points now and, and too much science to, um, to, to justify those things. So now it's become more of a requirement in the field. I think that's such a great point too, because when we think about best practice research and we talk about best practices to when working with athletes or anyone in a mental health standpoint, being able to have the data that backs up to understand how different techniques or interventions can work better with certain populations than others. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's totally true. I mean, I, I think the application is, you know, it's not the same across every platform and it's not universal. And, and I think what we do at the foundation is, is really unique. And, um, and so, um, so we're very careful about how, and what we use in terms of the data analytics and 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 why we're using it, uh, we're very intentional about that, and we're very intentional about privacy as well too of of you know of our of our community of population. And so, uh, so the intention of it is very it's very specific, and and it's also safeguarded too quite a bit. And I love to hear the part around safety and making sure that people feel their information is being secure. Because again, that's a big factor of athletes and former athletes and current athletes feeling safe in terms of being open to disclosing information or working through whatever their concerns might be. In your own experience over the past eight years being with the Player Care Foundation, what are some changes that you've seen throughout your role or within the organization as a whole? I think we've seen progress in terms of the way we, we view mental health and how we view our our players' challenges that they that they face. I think we've become more open-minded and also eager to to help the players from a service from a service standpoint, but from like a resource standpoint too. It's you know it's we're not providing the service for for the, the therapeutic service, but we certainly need to make sure that we're offering something that's of quality and up to their standard and par and up to ours too. And so so it's our job to make sure that we're continuing continually progressing in that area and that we're not falling short. And that we're making sure that players are taking advantage of those services because they feel that they're beneficial. So, And would you say there's been a higher degree uptake or acceptance of mental health supports in the past number of years? Or would you say that there's a rise in acceptance of mental health services? Yeah, I mean, I think when I joined, the foundation was... I wouldn't say it's new, but we were still we were still building, right? And some of the retired player programs are still building. And so if you want to talk about the building blocks of the organizations and then, you know, the continual, 
you know, participation from our from our community and in, in, in accessing those resources. Yeah, I would say it's gained steam and I would say that it's it's definitely more than it had been. But but also, you know, I think that there's some acknowledgement here that our program and services weren't as as well known as they are now, too. So but I do think that I think as I've progressed as a clinician, too, and have worked more, you know, gain more experience. I think the conversations about mental health are becoming easier to start and to have with the players than they have ever been. What do you think are some of the factors that are making that conversation easier for yourself to have with players? I think it's the many pieces to our country and society breaking down the stigma of mental health. You know, I think that has a factor. I think social media has a factor in terms of in terms of awareness and education and some of the awareness and education the NFL and the NFLPA have 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 delivered to our former player community. Um, I also think it's, you know, just having the right clinicians and, and the folks talking to the players and, and, and displaying the confidence to be able to talk about it and us showing us, you know, showing the players we don't need to be we don't have we don't need to have trepidation when we're talking about these particular topics and kind of keeping it, you know, open and safe space. I think that's I think it's vital. I think it's vital to, you know, those conversations to continue to, to happen and to open and, and just having this open door policy to the conversation, essentially. So. And again, normalizing that conversation because if a player came in with a broken collarbone or tore ligaments, there wouldn't be a bad ally around. Okay, we'll bring in professionals as needed. We'll develop a treatment plan. We'll, we'll create the supports as needed. And it's glad to hear that mental health is starting to go in that same direction where we're able to have that open door policy. Athletes are being more open around reaching out for supports and that there's more awareness around those supports as well. Yeah, it's it's you know mental health and, and and you've probably heard this from other professionals. It's not a, it's not a tangible it's not a tangible thing. You can't see it. People can feel it. You can hear it. You know, and so it may be from an outsider you can see differences in, in folks as they're going through their challenges. And so that's maybe the visual cues that we would that we would say. Um, and 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 some you know will will have insight to their mental health issues and, and feel physical differences too. But, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's quite different than having a broken bone and getting, you know, radiology to confirm that you have this broken bone essentially. Right. And you can see it on an X-ray or, or an image. And so, you know, it's a, it's a different type of conversation, obviously, but I think one that's, you know, uh, I think we're making headway on to becoming more open, a more open topic to discuss. So. And in your opinion, where would you like to see the conversation go around mental health in the next, say, five years moving forward around the mental health in the sport community? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's what we're continuing to do is to build awareness and education around around mental health, continue to, to break down the stigma of it. I also think that we just have a lack of we have a lack of mental health professionals in the world. I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to up the access to to mental health services, I and mean, that would include social workers and therapists and and psychiatrists. And the you know the demand is not necessarily meeting the supply right now, and that's the unfortunate part right now. And so, but you know, nevertheless, I think that I think that's becoming a, kind of a known issue is the access part, and so. One part that I loved you talked about as well was the fact that you talked about the different role of a social worker or a therapist or a psychiatrist. It wasn't just kind of looking at one discipline, but again, talking about how there's a whole team dynamics can be brought in to support an athlete's mental health. Yeah, there's a there's a multidisciplinary approach to uh, uh, to helping you know folks with mental health 
you know, challenges. And it, it's not to the degree that all of those specialty services need to be involved. But one of the conversations I have with players is about climbing the ladder of services, essentially, you know, starting with, you know, something that's not so invasive, you know, which could be therapy and counseling, and then allowing that conversation to kind of flourish to the point of, okay, you, you're working with this professional, and the professional is saying that you probably need additional services, and starting to climb that ladder to those additional services, whether it's a, you know, a program, or if it's a, if it's, a, you know, pharmacological needs with a, with a psychiatrist, um, you know, and, and so you just, you kind of develop those, those goals with another professional. Um, and, and, you know, that's, those are the, those are a lot of the conversations I'm having with, you know, with our community is, is, is about how, you know, how, how to go about that. And so, you know, from afar, from, from a clinician who, who works remotely, it's, it's hard to know, you know, it's hard to know, you know, if a player is needing those upper level services, sometimes it's more obvious than others. And when they're not as obvious, you know, we're, we're talking about like, all right, let's, let's talk to somebody local where they can put eyes on you and have multiple conversations and help determine, you know, where you need to go with this. And so that's, that's the, that's the multidisciplinary approach and what I would call light ladder climbing in the, in, in, in our world, in our space. And that's the interesting point you brought up too, in terms of the way the world's gone, especially over the last three years with COVID, we learned we do things in very unique ways. And in terms of providing virtual care, that's been a big strength in a lot of services, especially in the mental health field. How has that changed in terms of the player association, or is this something that was happening even prior to COVID? Well, I think it took a, it was a kind of a booming space after when COVID hit. In the U.S., there was a lot of regulations around telehealth. And there were only certain states that were allowing it kind of statewide in a a way. Those restrictions were loosened a lot after COVID hit, obviously. And and they they really kind of have been a mainstay because they've they've learned how valuable it is actually to, you know, to patients and to the therapists and working with their clients. And 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 I would I would I would venture to guess that it probably increases compliance rates, too, of, of 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 going to sessions. And so so I think it's I think it's an enormous help. I'm also an old school believer, too, in the sense that I think the therapist probably needs to see clients in person on on some level. Um, And that, you know, I think that there is some compromise in doing virtual visits constantly and only. And so um, but from like a from like a diagnostic standpoint, if we're working with diagnostics there, um, if you have a great grasp on the on the diagnostics part, then like I could see how how telehealth would be incredibly helpful and just kind of progressing those those sessions. But. Um, but that's that's my that's my take and feel feel on 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 the, on the telehealth. I, I do I do think it's a benefit, you know, in our practice. And I really like the idea around the, almost like a hybrid approach, where again there are some benefits to the telehealth, but again the face to face interaction definitely has a lot of more benefits. Sometimes people feel they can open up a bit easier in that way as there as well. And in terms of rapport building, tends to be a really big part when developing a therapeutic relationship with the client. Do you find your athletic background helped in terms of building rapport with clients, or is that a part that you're able to bring into your practice? I try not to use the card. Actually, uh, I find it, I find it as a, uh, I don't know, as a as a challenge to myself, and uh, in trying just to build rapport, you know, generally as just from human to human, right? Despite my background, despite what my experiences are. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll pull the card out just in case, you know, or if I know the player will, will find great value in knowing that. Um, and so, but I don't often do it. 
and I don't do it intentionally. And so if they do find out about it, great. I don't hide it, but I do. Uh, I have only seen kind of positive interactions when 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 somebody finds out that I'm a you know former athlete, and and a lot of the football players too have some some sort of baseball background too, and and I know it it kind of triggers some. Uh, some some thoughts and uh, um, and experiences in the past in their childhood that they they really enjoyed too and so uh, so I, I do have fun with the conversations and, uh, and and they are good and so um, and sometimes they lead to to rapport building and I can see that you know being really positive for yourself in terms of that client focused approach making sure the attention and the focus is on the client in terms of what their needs are. And again, you know, like I said, if it does come up, then okay, we'll take the conversation where it goes. But again, it's making sure that the full attention is on the client and what their needs are. Yeah, I'm very intentional about it because I, I am a firm believer that that you don't need to be a former athlete to work in this space, and I don't ever want this space to feel like you have to be. And um, you know, we have aspiring clinicians that want to work in the space that are not former that are not former athletes, and I'm I'm a big proponent to to those folks working in this space because they have a lot to offer. And so it's great that I'm a former player, but uh, I'm a clinician first. And I want that to be, to be known in our space with, with my, with the, with the guys I'm, I'm working with. And so that's one of the many reasons why I don't necessarily use the card of, of being a former athlete. So. I really appreciate that piece. Cause again, we sometimes hear people talk about the importance of that lived experience piece, which is definitely a valid piece. But again, it's really great to hear for those who may not have had that experience of being a professional athlete or even a student athlete, but do have aspirations of being a clinician within the sport community. Any advice for social workers or therapists or anyone out there who's interested in diving into this area of mental health in the sport community? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, there's there's a there's a lot of depending factors on on what their interests are in terms of the career wise. I think that the most common space is to be a therapist, uh, and so um, my advice, which 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 could out be outdated uh, or could be soon outdated in a way, is that um, is that you should become an expert in something in the field in in private practice if you can't make a breakthrough into the sports world immediately after school, and. Um, what schools, organizations, teams, you know, look for um, are s- therapists that have expertise in this area or specific areas, and they will hire you because of that. And so, um, so that's uh, uh, that's where you would that's where I would would you know encourage folks to to focus their efforts. Um, I don't. Um, we don't necessarily see hiring because someone is passionate about the field, we tend to see hiring because um, they're clinically strong in what they're trying to hire for. And so, um, and sometimes you have to go outside of sports to develop those skills and experience. And so it's a, you know, it's a, uh, it's a compromise that some of us have to make in order to make it in the field. And it sounds like very similar to what you mentioned early on in the episode, you talked about you were doing an internship and had been working with an athlete. It wasn't because of the person's athlete you're working with them, but it was in terms of your master's work term placement. And based on your expertise in the area of clinical work, that's where your opportunity came, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I don't even think the NFL Players Association knew I was actually a former athlete. And my 
my my title as 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 a former baseball player, I was I, I spent a great deal of time in, in grad school kind of ridding that title. Like, oh that's Nate. He's the he's that former baseball player. No, I'm I'm just Nate. I'm I'm Nate the the MSW student who's trying to get a clinical degree just like just like you, you know? And so so I spent a great deal of time kind of ridding that that identity. Um and I just wanted to be part of the you know, I guess, and some people would say civilian population in a way, right? And and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to do good in the world, you know, just like everybody else. And so, but I don't need, I don't need the title attached or the identity attached to it. And so, um, I I think when I handed that resume over to the NFL Players Association, I'm, I'm sure that they saw that I was a former player because it was on there, but I don't think that they had known beforehand. So that's not just dry on Parker as well, because a lot of athletes. You know, the identity can be so hard to be able to shift post-career because, again, for many years, that's what people saw us as, is, okay, you're an athlete, you're a sport, you're a position. But also being able to see, okay, you know, what are the other strengths or the other aspects of who we are that encompasses our reality as well? Because, again, and I think it's really positive for athletes to hear, okay, you know, Nate was able to show that I'm more than just an athlete. I'm a clinician. I have these skills, I have this work ethic, I have this desire to be a good clinical social worker, and you were able to accomplish that, which is a big feat and positive encouragement for other athletes as well. Yeah, I, I, after after the sports world is shuttered for, for, for most as an active participant or player, you know, there's much more purpose in life than just the identity that you carry around as a, as a retired athlete. And there's much more you can do without that identity and stigma or not stigma, but just identity in general and that title. And so we have it all within us to have a purpose higher than ourselves and the identity of uh, what we used to do. And, you know, I just, I took it to heart to, to make that change. And, 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 and I think it was therapeutic in the process too, in my transition as well from, from being an athlete. And if you don't want me asking what was it that brought you to social work? Like what, you know, what was it in your journey that said, okay, you know, I think this is the next path for me. Yeah, I think a, a, cu- a couple things. One is, is that uh, I wasn't interested in doing the academic work necessarily from like the research standpoint. And so a, like a PhD route wasn't really in my cards, I would say. Um, it was just at the time. And then um, I had two major mentors at the time. Uh, one was uh, Greg Hardin, um, who used to be the head of athletic counseling at, at the University of Michigan. And then another, another person, his name is John Hagen, Dr. John Hagen. He's a psychologist who used to be a professor at the, uh, the um, University of Michigan School of Psychology. Both of them uh, I've sat down with a number of times as kind of direction of my career and what I was focused on and what I wanted to do. And, and ultimately, those conversations led to, listen, you should consider a degree in social work. And, uh, and so that's what I did. I can imagine, too, when that area of your life in terms of, okay, I'm no longer Nate the baseball player, something new has to happen. And it sounds like you're able to find a lot of healing in that. Yeah, well, my interest in the field started actually while I was still playing pro baseball. I was actually in the locker room studying for the GRE. And I think on some level, it was probably scrutinized a little bit, too. But when you're playing professional baseball in the minor leagues, you, you have a lot of downtime as well. And so, um, 
you know, I've, I've always been kind of forward thinking what's the next step for me. I, I, we all know sports doesn't last forever. You know, I was definitely in a position to where, you know, I was expendable, like, you know, I was replaceable. And so, um, you know, so the, the um, you know, so the, the process had started even when I was playing baseball, it wasn't, it wasn't just after. And so, and I think that's, I think that's where the curve should start for us in terms of, in terms of those playing in sports, we should always be focusing on what's after what's after life of sports. And I think that most start that process after they're officially done, which is too late. It's too late. And, and it, because it takes time in between the, in between when you're done and, and, and planning and then starting that next. And then that time in between, you know, it's just, it's just, it's such a dead period. And I think, I think that's when all the the negativity of, of the transitions can can happen. But if you have a solid plan before you actually leave the game and you know what you're doing and you want to follow through with that, you you're ready to take those steps immediately when you're retired and when you're done. And you can start taking those steps right away. And then there's a sense of purpose and direction once you're done. So I know it's easy to say, but the transition for some are is much harder than others. And it can last a lot longer too. And also the title of retirement is very fluid. And so, you know, people don't know when they're exactly retired necessarily. You know, there are some that hold on to the to the chance to, to be back in the league again for years. And so, and sometimes it takes somebody to say like, hey, listen, you know, I think it's time for you to, you know, look in a different direction now. So. And it's so true because again, it's, difficult to walk away and imagine how scary it is to kind of to accept that and say, okay, you know what, this phase of my life is over and now what, or where do I go from here? Or what I've spent so many hours and days and weeks and months and years focusing on is now not what my reality is. And I can imagine that has to be a scary thing for athletes as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for anyone really, it's, you know, the, the, the unknown, you know? And so, um, you know, take any take any life transition, and you know, and you know, in, in somebody's life, and, and just you know, kind of think. About it. One of them stands out as retirement. You know, retirement's a massive transition for a lot of people, and so, you know, going from working and having you know a set schedule to then like basically like what what am I doing now? Like what like I have nothing to do. What's my purpose here? Like you know, and so it's the same thing. It's you know, you need to make sure you have a plan for what's to follow, and to make sure that you know you have some sort of purpose or you have some sort of engagement with, you know, what you feel is, is, is much larger than you. And, um, and I think that would, that, that kind of supports the fulfillment factor that, that most people are seeking, you know, during transition and after transition. So. And would you say that, you know, the experience you had helped influence on the work you do with the players, or sorry, with the uh, foundation in terms of recognizing, okay, what are the gaps that's needed in terms of, transition points and how can we support the current athletes in the NFL? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that is a, that's a loaded question and, and one that's never going to have one particular universal answer to, I think many great minds in, in, in our, you know, in our, in our NFL family and world of, you know, working in, in the retired player programs area. And I think 
many of us bring different concepts and understandings to this to the space that you know we're always trying to think forward we're always trying to take into account all the variables that are you know that are in place with with transition retirements are are unique from individual to, to individual the way that you know they come out of the league um, you know some are on their own terms some are not on their own terms you know some of them are really ugly and then some of them are are, are very uh, you know you know very gracious and so so it's it's it comes in all different shapes sizes and, and forms so um but but we, we we really try to you know study and 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 analyze you know these 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 characteristics so that we can understand if we need to build new programs so and i think that's a great point is that it's constantly growing it's constantly evolving and no people's no two people's experience and stories are going to be the same you're going to have two different athletes you know two former athletes to aspiring athletes that their story, their narrative has been different based on their own lived experience as well. So again, it's making sure that it's client focused and it's looking at, okay, what's this person's needs in the moment and what can we do to support them? That's exactly how, that's exactly how we focus is, is, is an individual basis and a case by case basis. And, and, um, every situation is unique, uh, to the own individual and not every story is the same. One question I got to ask, and it's more so out of curiosity than anything, I'll be honest. Is there either a therapeutic perspective or theoretical frame that you tend to practice from more than others or that you like to practice from? No, I, w- I wouldn't say that there is a theoretical frame. You know, I come from the world of, of diagnostics. I think that's my, that's my niche area. Um, I tried to not get too, too ingrained in the specific diagnostic questions and I try, um, I don't know if I'm answering your, your question correctly or not, but the focus clinically is not intensive and it, it, it usually kind of flows with where the player wants to go with the conversation most times. Um, I will still answer, you know, still ask specific questions, you know, when it's warranted, but, but generally I'm trying to have a conversation that's very lighthearted, very, very open, very not forced, you know, and like, we're just sitting down and having a cup of coffee together and, and just, just, just kind of shooting it together. And so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I, what I hope for. Um, because out of these conversations does not come a diagnosis. Right. And that, and, and that, that, that shouldn't be the focus. What, what comes out of it is a, is a, is a human story of, you know, of tribulation sometimes and, 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 and often, and oftentimes it, need in, in, in different several areas, you know, and so, so we have to be respectful to that, but also have, you know, a very active and engaging and empathetic ear to, to, to what's happening in this person's life. So. And I really love that approach where it's, again, it's client focus, it's meeting the client where they're to, it's meeting them in terms of what their needs are. And again, make sure that rapport building is at the forefront, which again, I think make sure athletes feel comfortable is, you know, the most important thing. Cause again, if they don't feel comfortable, safe and in a nurture environment, they're not going to open up. And again, why would they, why would anyone open up if they didn't feel safe? So I think really providing that meeting the athlete where to really helps with terms of making sure they feel in a safe and trusted place. Yeah. I think the, I think the jargon word that we used in academics is motivational interviewing, but you know, I think that it's a it's a mixture of somewhere along those lines and just really being yourself. <laughs> so, because <laughs> again, and I, 
I remember on a few uh, few weeks ago we had a few athletes actually in numerous episodes say this that athletes are really smart about it. Uh, Alex Abak from the Toronto Raptors talked about it. He said, you know, athletes know when you're being genuine or when you're being kind of full of it, and they can pick up on it pretty fast. Yeah, that is totally true. I mean, they're they're just like anybody else in the world. They're very smart. Uh, they're very attuned to, to to social, you know, social skills and and, and social situations. And so, um, and, and in general, you know, most athletes are very social and they're 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 very outgoing. And so, so they're you know they are used to conversation. That's 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 definitely true. So uh, they know when something's awkward and when something's not awkward. <laughs> And one question we love to ask here at Corso Wellness is, in your opinion, what do you feel makes a well athlete? Huh. I think it's in the eye of the beholder. But, you know, it's, um, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I've ever sat down and really thought about that question. So I don't know if I have a great answer for you right now. So, but um, what I do know is, when we talk about wellness, there's a different level of expectation of wellness when it comes to the individual person. And so we talk about, um, we talk about, uh, quality of life, right? When we talk about quality of life, quality of life looks different to everybody. Um, and so, so should wellness. And so, um, you know, we're all not dealt the same cards. And, um, and, and certainly fights are stronger than other fights. And so, um, but, um, I don't think there should be a universal concept to, to wellness. Um, but, um, whether someone's healthy or not is, is, is something that's determined by a professional and, and the person that that's, that's going through it. So. I really appreciate the answer in terms of, you know, the individualistic approach and kind of recognizing what wellness looks like for one person is going to be totally different for the next. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a totally big believer in that. And, and I don't, and as a clinician, I think it would be wrongdoing for us to project what wellness should look for somebody. And so the whole point is to meet somebody where they're at in terms of, in terms of what they need and what they're trying to gain, uh, from, from our, from our services. And so, um, and where they feel like wellness can be achieved. So. And then again, I want to say thank you again for your willingness to come on to our show to talk about your experience and to talk about the work that you do as well. And I want to thank you again for the work you do, because again, through the work of your clinical work research, this is how we do shatter the stigma of mental health in the sport community by having these conversations, by implementing supports, by meeting athletes where they're to. And throughout this, this is how we're going to be able to provide a better society for current and, and future athletes. Thank you for having me. Folks, if you like today's episode, want to check out other episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also check us out on social media, on our Instagram page, or on Facebook at Wellness Athletic Services. We also have a website now, www.wellnessathleticservices.com. If you have any ideas for the show, or recommend any athletes you'd like to check out on our show, feel free to email us at wellnessathleticservices at gmail.com. Thank you, and stay well. Mm-hmm.